This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. I still think excellence is important, but I think how we do that is probably different than what we think it is. Welcome to The Church Lobby, conversations on faith and ministry. My name is Carl Vaders, and my guest today is Eric Reed. Eric is a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, and the topic of our conversation actually comes from a Twitter thread he wrote about how excellence in smaller churches looks different than it does in bigger churches. Not less, just different. So in this episode, Eric and I talk about the dangers that happen when small churches try to imitate our friends in larger churches. We also look at the attractiveness of authenticity, at the importance of investing our time and resources wisely, and we offer clear examples of what small church excellence actually looks like. And don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and some practical takeaways. Welcome, Eric. It is good to have you on the podcast with us today. Hey, thank you so much. Glad to join you. You're with us today for a very interesting reason. First time I've ever had somebody on because of a Twitter thread. (laughs) (laughs) First for everything. Yeah, there is. But it was fascinating. And of course, you know, Twitter has always been one of these kind of Wild West places. And recently, it's become even more Wild West. And who knows day to day whether or not it's going to exist and all of that. Yeah. But you put out a Twitter thread a while ago about the difference in excellence between big and small churches. And I know it really caught on I in, in getting a hold of you. Uh, shortly after I got a hold of you, I think it was was it church leaders or somebody who talked to us? Where did this Twitter thread come from first before we get into the content of it? Yeah. So, you know, I've been pastoring for 17 years, like I said, and I've pastored at every size of our church, right? We're a church of over 1500 people now, but we started as a church of about 50 people, you know, in terms yeah. of core group. And, you know, when we first opened the doors and we haven't had some explosion of growth it's been slow, steady for 17 years. There's been seasons where we've grown a little bit more than others. But over that time, I think the challenge that we had, even just as a church, was trying to do things in an excellent manner without kind of getting over our skis, if you want to use that analogy, right? Without without trying to be too much beyond what we actually should be doing, right? It, right. it wouldn't feel right to be a church of 50 and to go overboard with lights and all kinds of bells and whistles in a worship service, that's probably not the best use of money. And it's it's going to feel like an overkill. So we've experienced that that tension. And, and as a result of just pastoring so long, I've had a chance to mentor and coach with some other pastors. And we have people reach out to us and ask questions. And one of the things I run into a lot with younger pastors or with churches, pastors of churches that are smaller, is they see something that the mega church, large church is doing down the road. And they think, oh, well, they've got a lot of people coming and they're doing X. So therefore, if we do X, we can reach people too. And I think it's a trap. Uh, I think it's a dangerous trap because I think it actually hinders you to try to do, uh, to, to imitate or to mimic 
what some of those churches are doing, because I think excellence can look different at a smaller church. And so I still think excellence is important, but I think how we do that is probably different than what we think it is. Yeah, that, that's the reason I wanted you on. I read that Twitter thread and I thought, man, this guy's ringing my bell because anybody who's heard me speak at a conference, especially the talk that I give on the differences between big and small churches, uh, right out the gate, I say this, you can be excellent in a small church, but excellence looks different in a big church than in a small church. That's and right. you outline some of the very clear ways that that happens. For folks to know, I will be putting a, we'll uh, directly link to the Twitter thread in the show notes. Uh, in case you haven't read it, it's a Twitter thread, so it's longer than a tweet, but it's way shorter than a book. So you can, you can it's read. longer than a tweet and shorter than a blog post. There we go. Yeah, exactly. Shorter than a blog post as well. You started by saying what you just said about the whole band and the lights and the worship. And in fact, you say if you do that in a church of 50, it comes across as lame. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen that, right? We've all seen the small church try to do it the big church way. And instead of it being the big church, only smaller, it's just lame. Why is. is that? Well, you've already told us why we try to do that. But yeah. why does that tend to come across as lame in a smaller environment? I think there's a couple of reasons why. One, we probably don't have the resources to do it at the same level as a larger church. And so that includes the actual quality of the lighting itself, maybe some kind of stage set or design or screens and things like that. The things they're doing to make it look the way that they make it look. Uh, if we try to imitate that with less resources, we end up, you know, where you say that meme where you got the, the Pinterest picture and then there's the your yeah. effort to try to copy it. It says nailed it, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's fact, always like there, really there, there are a couple There are a couple TikTokers out there who do that like for a living. They take some really awesomely done TikTok and then she's an average housewife who attempts to do it and it comes across so comically, but that's well, in that's an the, unintentional way. That's exactly what we do. Don't that's we? right. And so I think that's what it ends up looking like, not just from a, from a posture of the lights and stage decor and background, but even just the people we're not going to have the number of people with the number of talents and gifts. And it doesn't mean you don't have really gifted people, but the number of people is not going to equal yeah. maybe what a, a larger church has. So what ends up happening is we end up imitating the practice without having the same level of excellency. So it actually just comes across as being an attempt to do something well. And it's not really the same thing. It's like somebody who's attempting to karaoke uh, a popular song, it's like, you might be able to sing a little bit, but when we hear you trying to sing that song, that's really popular and everybody knows it. And we know how great the artist is. You just always don't sound as good. <laughs> yeah. You you're just not going to measure up. So I think that's one reason why it comes across as lame. The other reason is I think that people intuitively know when we are smaller in size, and yet we're trying to be bigger than our britches, as we would say in the South, that comes across as inauthentic to people. And people can sniff that out. They got really good baloney detectors. People can, can they can sniff out like why are we doing yeah. this, right? What what are we trying to prove or who are we trying to impress? And I've just come to conclude, honestly, that even if you're a big church doing it well, you know, lost people aren't that impressed with our technology and they're not they're not coming in groves to church because it's like, man, you hear about that incredible guitar player they got? It's like yeah. nobody cares. And yeah. I don't say that to be mean. It's just they don't care as much as we think people care. <laughs> At least not about that. I mean, a couple generations ago, it made a difference because it take a look at 
yeah, the, the, the great music, the great art came out of the church because quite frankly, there was no television, there was no radio, there were no records where right. you could have that kind of high excellence in your house. So right. if you wanted it, you had to go to the place where people gathered and that was the church. Now they've got a higher quality music on their phone, higher quality video right. on their phone. They're not going to be impressed by your guitar player at the church. So exactly we've got to right. offer them some reason to get out of bed and off their phone. And the, <laughs> and hey, the high tech right. isn't going to do it. <laughs> high tech isn't going to be it. Cause you're right. Look, they can get it. They can get it on their smart TV from their house. They can mm -hmm. get it at uh, on their phone. Like you said, in fact, think about every element of service that we can put together, they can almost have it streamed into their home at a higher excellence. They can probably oh, yeah. find somebody who's a better preacher. They can have musicians and high mm -hmm. quality videos that are produced that they could watch on their YouTube channel. Like they could do all that, which is why at the end of the day, we want to do things with excellence. But if we have this illusion that somehow or another imitating what a big church does in terms of its technology and what it's putting forward for worship, if, if we think that's going to be the silver bullet, I, I think we've we've been sold a bill of goods. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And I, to go back to your idea to what you mentioned earlier about you know the quality, for instance, of the technical yep. excellence. It's not it's not a matter of the fact that small churches don't have talented people in them. I, I live in Orange County, California. We have videographers and oh, yeah. graphic designers like crazy. I can't find someone who can nail two pieces of wood together, but we've got <laughs> you know we we've got high end graphic designers and videographers, and that's the level that we that's just where I live. Okay. But in a small church, we're still not going to have the, all of the lights and bells and whistles. One, we don't need them. Two, the number of people required to do that is higher than the number of people you probably have in your church. Yes, that's exactly So it's right. simply a matter of numbers. It's not a matter of higher or lower quality. That's it's the right. amount of people available to do the job that needs to be done. So we've got to lay that aside as as an idea of what excellence looks like. And in fact, I love the way you say it. You get you got to it really quickly in your Twitter thread, which I think is one of the reasons it kind of blew up a bit was you say excellence is connected to authenticity. Yes. So let's drill down onto that because I think that's the core of what you're talking about here. We're not talking about technical excellence. We're not talking about trying to compete with Hollywood. This drives me crazy. This is something I hope we're learning in the church. 20, 30 years ago, Christian movie companies almost exclusively tried to create an effects-laden Hollywood blockbuster style on 1% of the budget, and it always came across as lame. Mm. Today, The Chosen is being put out, and they're, right. they're doing it with authenticity, with simplicity, with quality, but they're so far anyway haven't even attempted to do the gee whiz bang wowy thing. First of all, it doesn't fit when you're telling the first century story. That's right. Secondly, it's not in their budget. And thirdly, it comes across much more authentically if the camera just follows Jesus and his disciples into a field. <laughs> That's right. And, and, it's, and the but writing you it, though, is but actually quality. Yeah. Let, let's put the money into the into the message rather than into the whiz bang effects. So authenticity. That was my little it. aside. Yeah. We're talking no, about that, but that's but that's dead on. And I love what you said is that. It's done with excellence, but listen, it's not the most, it's not the largest scaled budget production that's happening on television right now. Or, you know, you, you don't watch it and get overwhelmed by like, this is the most incredible special effects we've ever seen. You don't get blown away by saying, this is the most incredible cinematography I've ever, I've ever witnessed. But here's the thing though, they don't do those things poorly, no. but they do them in proportion 
to there what they're go. trying to accomplish. Proportion, and I love that term. That's where the authenticity, like this needs to be true to who we are, which by the way, if you're telling the story about Jesus and you're talking, it's a first century story, it's going to feel really out of place if all of a sudden you've got some kind of bells and whistles and fireworks going off with special effects, because that's not that doesn't even match the message. And so I exactly. think we, we've got to really think about that when it comes to the message at church, right? We are building, when we gather, it's about fellowship and community. It's about worship of God. And you can do all those things with excellence without necessarily being outside the message. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to have uh, expensive LED screens in your lobby, scrolling your announcements to have a welcoming lobby. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, there you go. Yeah. yeah well, plus just simply, we only have so many hours in a day and so many people committing time to the ministry of, of a local church, whatever size it is. Yeah. And so to use our time and our assets wisely is really important. And to me speaking to pastors, and I, I think this reflects your heart as well, so small church pastor, here you are, you've only got limited amount of time. Every minute you spend on better lighting, on better camera angles, oh, yeah. on better effects is a minute you don't spend in sermon prep right. or hospital visitation or coordinating your teams so that they function better to help yeah. each other. Or pouring and into those a person are, to develop them as a leader or yeah, yes, any of those things. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where the value comes. And the smaller the church is, the greater value there is in those other things. You're going to steal from one to the other. If you're going to steal from one, steal from the high effects that are trying to duplicate the small church and invest it instead into the relational aspects and into the strong communication aspects that work in any environment and that are always central to the gospel message and to the yep. mandate to make disciples anyway. So what you just hit on, you could summarize like this, put your effort where there is the best return on investment and that return on investment is that your time investment, right? And you just hit it. I think this is the illusion. I think this is the charade that many pastors, I don't care if you're a big church or small, many pastors fall for this, which is there's a massive return on investment. If you go over the top technology packages, you know, you gotta, you gotta have all the things. I think we have bought an illusion. I think we bought a, we bought a lie that says that has a great return on investment. It actually doesn't have a great return on investment. In fact, the reason we know that is because you could do, you could be wildly successful in terms of reaching people, discipling people, effective in equipping them and ministering, pastoring and shepherding them and not have any of those things. You can do that without having any of that. And yet you can have all of those things and not be doing the other things well at all. It doesn't require you to be a good pastor to have nice lights. Where I think the far, the, the law has come in, where the farce has come in is because we bought the idea that that's a great return on investment. We give our time, we give our energy to trying to create those spaces, thinking, wishfully thinking that somehow or another, now it's going to happen. Now we're going to reach all those people. Now we're going to see, and it's like, it's not going to be any different at all. In fact, you start showing up with, you know, you, you walk into that auditorium with, you know, a hundred people in there in a sanctuary with a hundred people. And all of a sudden you got fog, a fog machine running. Your people are going to look at you like you've got a knot on your forehead, you know, like, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah. And, and what's fascinating is 
the fog or all my friends in who do this are going to be cringing at the word fog. They always go, no, it's haze. It's not fog. Haze. It's the hazer. And I don't or, have a problem my, with yeah. haze. I just think, <laughs> oh my, yeah, exactly. But I, I think a lot of us have the, have the impression that this whole anti haze machine thing, well, that's an old guy thing. But in fact, a millennial or a Gen Z who walks into a room of 50 people and we're trying to do the lasers through the haze yes they're going to roll their eyes and leave quicker than the senior is yes they're the ones who think it's lame yes <laughs> they're the ones who think it's lame no that's right you've hit it it's not going to be look it's not going to be the older generation who rolls their eyes and says you know i can't believe we're doing this there, there'll be some of them uh, but most of them will stay put if you if they thought there's an roi right oh well we'll reach the young people with this no you won't the young people are going to look at that and go this smells yeah. phony. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's how they'll respond. Yeah, exactly. We think we're, tar- we're actually turning away the people that we think this is targeting. Yeah, because you know what they really want? They want something that's real. So that's where, I, you know, in the tweet thread, that the secret sauce is be authentic to your community, your context, your size, your resources. Seek to do things with excellency but tastefully in moderation to your context, that is what resonates with people. If I'm a 21-year-old who has moved into Orange County or wherever your listener may be listening uh, you know, at today, and I'm at college and I'm looking for a church, you know, I can go to the church with the big bells and whistles. They're there. And, and the thing is, is if you're a pastor, just realize this. Somebody's doing all those things better than you somewhere. Like, Mm-hmm. somebody's oh, yeah. doing it better. Okay. So rather than trying to keep up with those types of things, what that 20 year old college student actually wants is something that's more transcendent than when he goes to the concert on Friday night, he's yeah. looking for something more deeply spiritual and rooted in something beyond what is flashy in 2023. And when we are looking like we're just trying to put the latest sticker that that's out there on our service, right? We're trying to put that wrap around it. It comes across as actually not any different than anything else I encounter in the world. And so I'm not opposed to lights. I'm not opposed to even haze. I just think when we're looking at what's the most effective thing, I think it's often very different than what our assessments are of that. Yeah. And uh, I think no, pastors I and churches could save a lot of money on unnecessary expenditures and do things a lot better in the end anyway. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlvaders.com support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. 
I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Eisinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Yeah. For me, a lot of it is put yourself in the shoes if we can, because we, both of us have been in church long enough. It's quite impossible for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the first time churchgoer. Let's right. just be honest about it. But if right. we attempt to do so, try to attempt to imagine walking into especially a small church environment. Okay. Yep. Yep. You're coming by the time they are physically in your building, they have chosen for whatever reason, because they've been invited by a friend or whatever, they have physically chosen to walk into a building that is obviously small. Yeah. So they are expecting a small church environment. It's more intimate. And they know that. They're not shocked by that. Yeah. So that's what, if you walk into, when I walk into a coffee shop, I don't expect a Costco. I expect right. a coffee shop intimacy. They have the Costco option. And when people are doing that, they probably already visited three or four mega churches in your area and went, eh, that's, that's not right. for me. I'm going to check out a smaller environment. And if they go to a smaller environment and see the big church stuff done lousy. Yep. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Why would they want to stay? They're coming to you because they want the small church stuff done well. So if you want to talk about what is the distinct advantage that a small church has, that's it. That is the distinct advantage in terms of reaching people who are seeking the Lord or who are looking for a church in the community is don't try to imitate the big church accentuate all the qualities of what comes with a smaller church. And that's what it looks like to do things with excellency as a smaller church. It's like, we're fantastic at commit, uh, connecting people to each other. And we're fantastic at providing care and, you know, making it personal and intimate. And yet at the same time, we care about Aunt Susie doesn't get to just get up and do a special because she woke up that morning feeling like it, you know, and then she belts out, mm -hmm. you know, a song that's out of tune and, we're not trying to be that. That's that's not excellence, and that's not small church. It's bad church. It has nothing to do with size. <laughs> yeah. What we want to do is is we want to do things with an excellence that just matches. I would just say has that distinct flavor of who we are. It doesn't taste like we're trying to be that church down the road. That to me is the secret sauce for a small church. Yeah. Yeah. Lean into what are actually the essential elements of church and the gospel and discipleship anyway. Yes. And especially with limited resources, it really is a return on investment and a prioritization of our time and of our energies. Uh, right. We can't, and any, any attempt to do something else really just waters down the ability to do the basics excellently because we don't yeah. have the, we, we can't spread ourselves that thin. Think about any time you have seen either in person or in a picture form, some kind of small little chapel that's out in the woods somewhere, right? It's obviously, you know, maybe it's a wedding destination or maybe it's a legit church somewhere, but you've seen these small little buildings. They're beautiful. They got like wood aesthetic and rock. And in other words, you see it and you go, man, that's beautiful. Like there's excellence and beauty. And yet nobody's saying it's excellent or beautiful because it's a 2000 seat auditorium venue. It's beautiful and it's aesthetic because it's true and authentic to what it is. So trying to make it the best of what it can be for where, what, what we have and where we're at, that's what we should focus on. And again, I, I think having the proper perspective of more important than the setting. I mean, here's the reality is 
God can change a life and uh, be glorified in a white walled room with fluorescent lights shining above it, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. God doesn't need our aesthetic. But I would say this, but beauty and aesthetic matters because God is beautiful. And our spaces of gathering and the way that we had them set up want to reflect something about God's beauty, right? There's a, there's yeah, a tension absolutely. there of not being crazy, you know, and, you know, being inordinate in, in terms of spending, outspending and stuff like that than we should. But there's also a reason why we don't just say, hey, let's just put cinder block walls up and do it. It's like, right. well, there's something about beauty, which is why the cathedrals of old were built and they were built and designed purposely to make your eyes go up. And, you know, all of that was about the transcendence of God and the beauty of God and the majesty of God. And I think we can try to Think about our own spaces with that mentality and yet do it in a way that matches who we are. And I think, you know, I think if that's the proper framework you're looking through, I think you'll be well on your way to finding what it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's a beauty uh, within an intimate space that is very different than the beauty in the large space. And we need to have it appropriate to the space and leaning into the intimacy of the smaller space. It fits the environment and it's really attractive, I think, to those who are who are looking for that. That's what's missing in their lives. They can find the rest of it on their phone. <laughs> That's right. They can't, they can't find that without coming out to you. So I, 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 one of the things I really I do appreciate is you, uh, you are one of the guys that, and I think there are more like you than we often give credit to, who has had a church who has seen some significant growth, but who has not forgotten what it was like to be in a smaller environment and who has a great respect and 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 even in this helpful information for those of us who are in smaller churches and for those of us who 90% of us are likely to spend most or all of our ministry years in a smaller church environment that yeah. to to recognize the value of that and to speak into that with a great understanding and a great compassion is something that I really appreciate from my context as well so thank you for that listen i appreciate that and and i love the local church i think the local church is the hope of the world uh, it carries the only message that can transform a human life and heart. And, you know, I think every church, whether they're small or large, has a part to play in that. And honestly, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think one of the unfortunate things is uh, we've created in maybe not intentionally, but within our, our hearts, a hierarchy of value. As we think about churches, we think larger churches, higher value, smaller churches, lower value, mm. smaller church uh, pastor, lower quality bigger church pastor, superstar, and one, in the eyes of God, that's just foolishness. And then two, in reality, in the eyes of men, that's foolishness too. Like uh, there are incredible pastors who are pastoring smaller churches and the quality of a pastor is not reflected in the size of the church. And, or you could say it this way, the size of the church is not a reflection of how great the pastor is or isn't. I really want listeners to really really hear that because I think for a lot of us pastors, we are, we already feel like we're not good enough. Uh, we already feel like we stumble and fail uh, more than we should. And we don't feel like we're up to the task. And in addition to that, if you pastor a smaller church and you've got this, this complex that says, if our church is small, then it's probably because I'm not great as a pastor. It's just, it's, it's a lie from the enemy. And I yeah, wish yeah. the Lord would help us to to overcome that. Yeah. And and if you fall into the trap of looking at the world through those lenses, then the shame that you have when the church is small will become pride when the church gets big. (laughs) And neither one of those is conducive to healthy ministry, healthy life, healthy, healthy family, healthy spiritual growth, healthy anything. It's all toxic. 
Well, and let me just tell you, I'll just, I'll tell you from experience as a younger pastor who thought like, man, yeah, we want to reach people. And man, look at those churches with thousands of people. Let me tell you something. When we crossed over the first Sunday, we ever had a thousand people in attendance. Nothing magical happened. Uh, (laughs) Nothing, nothing changed. I didn't get a plaque, you know, that I didn't get an an angel dedicated to me from heaven. Nothing. happened. In other words, these are just these things we create in our mind that have some kind of significant value. And it didn't do anything to make me a better person. I didn't win any awards as a result. And the reason I say that is just because in your mind, if you're thinking like, man, this milestone, we're going to get here one day. And it's like, I just promise you, nothing's going to change if you get there. (laughs) I mean, it's like, you know, It's just if you, if you carry if you carry a bad hat attitude and heart with you there, it's going to stay with you there. And it, it will. Yeah, that's right. It's not good. Hey, before I let you go, I got the lightning round questions. Okay. See if we can be line these up for you. All right. Sounds good. First of all, what are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? Yeah, I think the culture has shifted significantly in the last seven years, I would say. Uh, When I planted the church, there was still some measure of cultural cachet that being a Christian held in the broader culture. They may not necessarily love it or, you know, whatever, but they could at least respect uh, that you're a Christian. It it at least brought a nominal level of respectability that's shifted significantly. uh, I think, uh, and that's a whole probably another conversation about why what what's happened is, is not only is it negative now culturally to be a Christian you're considered outright dangerous if you mm-hmm. have different views than the world does on sexuality, gender, you know, any number of things, you are looked at now as an enemy to progress. And I think that's hard for people. I think there's going to re- be required a courage and a boldness to, to know your faith and to walk in it and contend for the faith as Jude says, but to do it in a way that's gracious and loving and not just trying to fight everybody uh, on every cultural issue. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges I've seen. uh, I agree. And I think it's also important for us to understand the part we played in causing that because that's probably the easiest place to start making corrections. Correct. Yep. I agree. Yeah. All right. Number two, what free resource like an app or a website has helped you lately that you'd recommend for small church ministry? Oh, well, I hate to self-plug, but uh, go to knowingjesusministries.org or .co, uh, kjmen.org. That's my website, Knowing Jesus Ministries. We got tons of resources uh, on there from theology, uh, videos to articles, uh, dealing with cultural issues, discipleship. Our four focuses on the ministry is one, to help pastors and church leaders, Two, to help equip the saints with the theology of suffering and pain. A lot mm. of Christians aren't prepared for going through those things. Um, uh-huh. And three, just to ground uh, just to ground people theologically, not just to believe the Bible, but to have some literacy of the Bible. So all of our resources are created around helping pastors and churches and helping the everyday believer to grow in their faith. So uh, I, would, I would encourage anybody that hasn't gone to kjman.org to check that out. All right, we'll do, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, what's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? That's a good question. Boy, there's been several. The number one, I, I would have to say, you can give is, us a couple. Okay, I'll give you. I'll give yeah. you a couple of lightning round answers. Sure. Then, all right. There you go. One is if you don't lead yourself, you can't lead others. So consistently leading myself to do the things that I need to do, not just from a spiritual discipline standpoint, but even from a growing as a leader standpoint, I can't expect that I'm going to lead others effectively if I can't even lead myself well. So, so one, that's number one. Two, a great leader once told me, 
Eric, as long as you're the one that always has to do the counseling, do the marrying, do the burying, be at every meeting, make every decision, uh, the church will only reach as many people as you are capable of ministering to them. And that was a big eye-opener for me because uh, to a certain point uh, in our church's life, I did everything, every single thing. And I just couldn't understand why, one, I was about burnout and dead, and two, why we would have new people come, but then either they wouldn't stick or others would fizzle. And it's like, we, we just never reached more people. The number was stagnant, even though faces changed. And uh, that leader told me, he said, Eric, the problem is you. You're a bottleneck. Uh, you have to do everything. So the most important thing you could do with your time is start investing in other leaders and equip them to do things so that you can focus on the things that only you can do for the church. Let other people use their gifts. And that Man, that was a light switch moment for me. That was that was, that was huge for me too. And even within a small church context, because it's really easy for 100%. the small church pastors listening to go, oh, that's fine for you when you got a big church. But no, it making disciples who make disciples is the core yes. of our job description, whatever size it is. So even if you're pastoring a very small group of people and for a season, you may have to do everything because they're they're older or whatever the reasons are that they're I've I've had to go through seasons like that where I've had to do it for everybody, but always with the idea of, I am also, I, I have got to purposely invest significant amounts of my time in investing in others to raise up another generation. We are not called That's to right. make converts. We're not called to, to be the answer person for the entire congregation. We are called to make disciples who make disciples. And that is true in any size of a congregation. That's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Yep. Last piece of advice that's really been effective for me is, uh, Quit saying our church won't and start saying we haven't led our church to whatever you're filling the blank in with. So our church just doesn't like to serve. Our people just don't give. We can't get people to sing. When we say our church won't and we put in some problem, that's very passive. It's very much uh, the problem is the people and doggone if we had better people, we, we would see some different things happen. When you change and flip the question or flip the statement to, we haven't led our people to give, we haven't led our people to serve, uh, we haven't led our people to sing, now the onus turns back to you as a shepherd, and you have to start asking the question, then how can we lead them to do that? And I've heard so many pastors over the years say things like that. Well, you know, our church just doesn't like to do, you know, and they'll just, they'll name right? something. I'm just like... What if in reality it's you haven't led them to do this? How would that change if, if what would you do different if that was the issue? And all of a sudden, it, even just that slight adjustment gives you a whole different framework of yeah. thinking about like, huh, if, if they don't give because I haven't led them to give, then what do I need to do? As opposed to like, oh, they just don't give. You know, one's yeah. passive and one is shepherding. Very much so. Yeah. And and it brings it brings discipleship back to the foreground again. Right. And and has a looking for answers built into just the way you phrase it. I love that. Well, and you start, if you're not careful, you'll get really cynical of the flaw, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah. They don't, <laughs> our people aren't generous. It's like mm -hmm. your people are a reflection of your shepherding, like not a hundred percent one-to-one, obviously not everybody follows what you, but what we're teaching them though, hopefully is what they'll begin yep. to do. So it's like, it's, it's a, ref if they don't, it's because we haven't, that's the way you got to yep. look at it. And yep. that's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a much more accurate reflection of reality. It also, I think, gives a sense of control isn't the word I'm looking for, but it does, it, it puts the answer back in our hands rather than it being at some, some vague distance that we That's have right. no option to change whatsoever. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All righty. Let's go from that serious to the final one here. What's the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? Oh, 
<laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. I was preaching one time and a snake uh, slithered across the stage. Wow. Okay. And, and it wasn't there on purpose. Nobody, we weren't like throw, passing the snakes around. Um, yeah, we are where, in Tennessee, where but that, you, that wasn't happening. Like in a regular church building? Sunday morning, regular service. We had just moved into our building and it was hot outside and there had been landscaping and some construction. Somehow or another, this snake got in. And as I am preaching, this thing is slithering across the stage and some, I didn't see it. And one of our people saw it and literally got up and went and, and grabbed through, like slapped the snake onto the ground and stomped on its head. And this all happened in the middle of me preaching. Yeah. It, I mean, it was the running joke. It was the running oh, joke. Like, oh yeah, Journey's got snakes at their church now, you know? Well, if, if you didn't become Pentecostal, then you'll never become Pentecostal. <laughs> it's, not, it's never going to happen if that wasn't the moment. Yeah. I would, That's I would an that amazing story. I yeah, that's that oh, that's definitely up there. That has not happened to me yet. Uh, so that, <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, I appreciate it. If people want to get a hold of you in any way, how can they find you online? I know you obviously through Twitter. That's how we found you. And we'll put your Twitter handle in the in the show notes. Any other yeah. way people can get a hold of you with YouTube? Yeah, uh, it's just Eric Reed, E-R-I-K-R-E-E-D, all the social media handles. And then uh, kjman.org is the website I publish stuff at regularly. I have a daily devotional we put sermons out, you know, we got sermon theology, teaching clips and different things we do there. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd point them to that website and say, there's tons of resources there. Terrific. Thanks for your help today. And for the encouragement for uh, those of us who are you know, ministering within a smaller environment to give, give them an understanding of the, the value that we have and how to do things in an excellent way in an intimate setting. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, man. Well, in case anybody was wondering, can you have a full and interesting conversation based on a single Twitter thread? I guess the answer is yes. And in fact, uh, we've got at least one other Twitter thread conversation coming up. It's actually a fascinating place to have conversations, especially when the podcast is entitled The Church Lobby. That's kind of what Twitter is in a whole lot of places for both the good and the bad. But let's take a look at some takeaways. I've got five that I want to outline for you at the end of this conversation. My first takeaway is this. Excellence matters. It does. Uh, but excellence looks different in a smaller church than it does in a big church. The size of the venue changes what we emphasize when we're talking about excellence. So excellence in a small environment is not lesser. It's just different than excellence in a big environment. That's my first takeaway. Takeaway number two is this. Trying to imitate a big church is lame. Yes, that's the term Eric used, and I'm going to use it too because I agree. Yes, it's lame. When we try to do something the way the big church did it, only in a smaller environment, we are not doing it smaller. We're doing it more poorly. And quite frankly, it doesn't fit the environment and it's lame. Third takeaway, the lack of a technical wow factor in a small church has nothing to do with us in small churches having less to offer. It's just that the aspects and the resources and the amount of time and energy and money that's needed to have a technical wow factor, first of all, it's peripheral to the gospel. Secondly, it just takes an amazing amount of time, finances, energy, and people often just, just simply far more of that than we have in a smaller environment. So let's stop chasing something that doesn't fit us anyway and that will cost us more than we're able to put out. Fourth takeaway for me, we need to think about 
Eric put it this way, the ROI, the return on investment of our time and energy. We have limited time. We have limited energy. Every time we spend one minute on technical excellence, it's a minute we can't spend on other things like sermon prep or discipling or raising leaders. So we need to ask ourselves, where is the best place to invest our limited time and energy? And the smaller your church is, the less time and energy the typical pastor has to invest it in places. So the more important it is to invest our time and energy wisely. And then our final takeaway, takeaway number five that I've got from it is this. People who come to a smaller church are looking for us to do the small relational things well. So that's where we need to put our energy. Let's not put it into a place that's going to come across as lame. Let's not put it into a place where we don't have the full amount of resources and people uh, to be able to do it well anyway. Let's not try to imitate what somebody else is doing in a completely different environment from ours. Let's look around and say, when somebody comes to a smaller congregation, they're what are they looking for? They're probably looking for deeper relationships and in a closer, more intimate environment. So that's where we need to put our energy. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me... I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby.